Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was barely a month ago that I was uh, preaching at the 150th anniversary service for the very first church I served as a pastor. It was Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Belvedere, Illinois. They chose to have me come from Branson, where it was 75 degrees and clear, to go to northern Illinois, where they had six inches of snow and it was 32 degrees. Welcome home, Pastor Cole. I want to read you just a part of what I said at the beginning of that message. This is what I said. Emmanuel was the right place for a new pastor to start ministry. I could not have had a better place to be, nor could I have had a better friend and mentor than Pastor Eugene Willie. It was also a blessing to arrive at the same time with Paul and Jennifer Baker. Paul was our new principal, and Jennifer soon became the director of Family Life Ministries at Emmanuel. Paul retires May the 19th, and I'll be privileged to preach at his farewell service at Redeemer Lutheran in Springfield, Missouri. So yes, Paul, I am honored to be able to speak at the time of your Retirement. Now, Paul and his lovely bride, Jennifer, and their children, uh, the artist formerly known as Andrew and uh, Miriam, uh, have been friends and colleagues and mentors and uh, frequent conversation partners for many years. And I give thanks to God for both of them and their family. I need to tell you a few things I learned about Paul early on. One was his love for higher education. After all, who would actually put their desk on the roof of the school for a whole day after the kids met his reading challenge? I also learned about Paul's fiscal responsibility because it was Paul who uh, managed to buy a portable classroom for around $2,000. It only took us $20,000 or more to actually make it suitable for habitation. And then there, of course, is Paul's sense of humor. It's always been kind of fun for me as a pastor to wander around and see what else was going on in Bible classes. I always love going down and watch Paul and Jennifer lead a class. But let's be honest here. It was Jennifer who was leading the class and trying at the same time to keep the court gesture in line. There's another part of Paul and Jennifer as well, and that's their servant heart. Remember a few years ago when they were going to head down to Austin to see their son and family that they realized it was going to snow in Oklahoma. So they asked whether they could show up at our house on Christmas Eve and stay with us on the way to Austin. And when they got there, we said, that's fine. In fact, um, if you'd like to sing in our choir tonight, you could. And Paul and Jennifer immediately said, yeah, we'll sing in the choir. I kind of remember Paul after singing Christmas Eve and Christmas Day saying, I really enjoyed choir. I think the reason was because of one of my members who happened to be home singing at the same time, Sonny Cranfield, Miss Texas, and a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. I'm sure Paul smiled all the way to Austin. Now, all kidding aside, Paul has been a faithful minister of the Word of God for over four decades. He has been here two decades with you, and now he and you are coming to the end of that ministry as he refreshes and repositions himself in the Lord's service. Now, most of you know that I actually kind of hate 
the words retire or retirement. Those words are not in the Bible. Uh, But not long ago, I went through that same thing myself. So I speak from a little experience this morning when I say retirement, if you will, is a time fraught with meaning. It's kind of like watching a trapeze artist in a circus. You kind of let go of one trapeze, but you haven't quite grabbed the next handle. And so the transition from ministry to whatever you do next, Paul, can both be exhilarating and frightening. And I dare say the analogy is going to hold true for this entire congregation and this school as they say goodbye to a friend and a leader and perhaps are wondering a little bit about the future of Springfield Lutheran as well. But today we give thanks for Paul's ministry, and it might also be profitable for us today to consider what Christian ministry is really all about. And let's be clear, Paul ministered in your midst for 21 years. So we need to ask, what is a minister? But actually, I'm going to start with saying, what is ministry? And I'm going to give you my kind of silly little definition. I've always said ministry is whatever you do for another person in the name of Jesus. But in order to do ministry, you have to minister as well. And a minister is quite simply someone who acts on behalf of another person. Now, we don't use that word minister that often in our culture anymore. But if you go to Europe, you're going to find out that they use that quite a bit. They talk about foreign ministers. They talk about the minister of finance and on and on and on. Such ministers really only speak and represent on behalf of their governments. Their authority derives from those people that they represent. See, in much the same way, and I know that Paul for, what, 41 years? Is it 41 years? 46 years. 46. 46. Yeah, I was going to short you a little bit on that one. Uh, But in much the same way, Paul understood that his ministry, all the way from back in Michigan, all the way trailing down through Illinois and Missouri, uh, that he just represents somebody else. See, our ministry, whether we are the senior pastor like Jeff Sippy, or whether we are a director of youth ministry, or whether we direct the choir or whatever, or whether we are the principal, our ministry is not a possession that belongs to us, but rather it is a call that we obey. It's a service that we carry out for someone else. Now, it's easy to forget this, especially when you've been around as long as Paul and I have been. In our weaker moments, we kind of take on this um, sense of self-importance. I don't know whether you've ever felt that way, Paul, self-importance. He's nodding his head, no, but I know he means yes. But then again, I remember leaving one of my churches after having been there for 13 years, and I actually wondered out loud to a friend about what would happen when I left. And my friend said to me point blank, Barry, it was Jesus Church when you got here, and it will be Jesus Church when you leave. The same could be said to you, Paul. It was Jesus School when you got here, and it will be Jesus School when you leave. Now, all of that reminds us that ministry is always built on the work of other people. In our scripture reading here from 1 Corinthians 3 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So if a church or a school is going to have any vitality at all, if it's going to have any integrity or any unity, it's not going to be, it's not going to come because of the wisdom of people, 
but it's going to come from the power of the message of the gospel that God gives us to share with other people. See, you and I, like uh, in local congregations, in all of our weakness, are always going to be just bearers of the message and the living embodiment of the gospel's power. See, that's what a congregation is. That's what a school is, for better or worse. It is the living embodiment of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, many people, perhaps at some level, come to a church or a school to be taken care of. Certainly, parents, you brought your children to Springfield Lutheran because you wanted them to be taken care of. People come to a church because they expect their pastors to take care of them. And it's only right that leaders should do so. But we even see that the Apostle Peter struggled to get it across that it isn't the messenger that counts. It is the message and not the leader. It is the church. It is the body of Christ where the power of God resides through the grace and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly St. Paul and the lesser St. Paul Baker have a right to be proud of their work. If you didn't look back at your last 21 years here, Paul, and say, it was pretty good. You should. But even as the Apostle Paul said, so could Paul Baker put it this way, a little bit different. Ron Merritt planted. Paul Baker watered. But it's God who gives the growth. See, both men knew that the power that they had, even as principles, was God's power through the gospel and not human power through their personality or their knowledge or their good looks. And now it's going to be passed on to another person, Amanda Cole. See, that is one of the gifts that you have been given in Paul Baker, a gifted leader who has never forgot for a minute that it isn't his good looks or keen intelligence or sense of humor or any other thing, but rather what made him a good minister was that he ministered the word of God to these children and to the teachers. See, as political consultants would say today, Paul stayed on the message. Paul understands the message applies to him as well as well as it applies to you. He knows that he is a minister, one who represents another. He represents his Lord. He was a message who brought about the good news and a witness always pointing beyond himself to the one who brought him here. But this pointing of Jesus, you know, it's kind of interesting. It always, doesn't always bring about immediate results. Paul, who's a gardener of sorts, probably understands this a little bit. It's kind of like being a gardener, a matter of planting and watering. And then letting God use what you've done for his purposes, which sometimes seem amazingly mysterious. How did I get there? In all of my ways, how did this actually happen? Because it wasn't about me. It could have only been God who did it. For you know what seeds you sow and who is ready to hear what word and when and a word that might even change lives. I've been out of the pastoral ministry now for about five years. I still am amazed at how many people will call me or email me or write me and say, you may not remember me, but you made a difference in my life. And I have a feeling you're going to find that to be true in these days and weeks and months ahead. People that you would have never, ever thought that you touched in a way. See, now, but pointing to Jesus, like I said, doesn't always manifest immediate results. 
I know you have a Stephen ministry program, and I think, Jennifer, you helped start the Stephen ministry program at Emmanuel many years ago. It teaches that ministry is process-oriented, not results-oriented. And this really frustrates Stephen ministers at the very beginning because we as Americans are not very good at waiting for God to supply immediate growth. See, we want power and we want control. We want to force our will on things. And the wisdom of this age demands that we have results, measurable results. And even ministers kind of give up and talk about attendance or budgets or building additions or their fancy-schmancy new programs or even the number of new students or new members they have. But I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm always grateful for any visible signs of vitality that you see in a church or a school. And we should always celebrate that. But the truth about the church and the truth about schools is that we can have beautiful buildings, we can have the biggest endowments, We can have the most eloquent preachers. We can have the funniest principal. We can have the best teachers that Paul could possibly find. And we can be so friendly as to melt the snow off the roof of a church. But if the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and the message that God loves you and forgives you is not taught and learned and lived, then I would suggest that perhaps we have wasted our time. Colossians chapter 118 reminds us, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, in each generation, God raises up witnesses. He raises up messengers. He raises up missionaries. He raises up ministers, people like Paul Baker, for which we give thanks. Like I said, some plant, some water. But it is still God who gives the growth. I'm going to turn just for a moment about how this affects all of you. People who have been part of Springfield Lutheran School and Redeemer Lutheran Church. And it flows from another Bible reading in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Isn't that interesting? Springfield Lutheran saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto to a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I think all of you understand that God gives us gifts that we sometimes call professional church workers. I really don't like that word too much, but he, he gives us professional ministry leaders. But that does not get the rest of you all off the hook. Did you catch that? This church has been blessed with four pastors. You've got a new youth person coming. You've got other people around here. You're going to have a new principal. You're going to have still have teachers. And their involvement is certainly ministry. But that does not get you off the ministry hook. See, these leaders are here for a specific purpose. They are here for the perfecting of all y'all saints. They are here for the work of the ministry, doing for you what God has done for them. They are here to edify the body of Christ. In other words, to disciple you once you come to know Jesus Christ, to move you along the path to know him even better so that you can better better and effectively minister to other people. In other words, it just very simply comes down to equipping and perfecting the saints so that you can do ministry as well. But, and this is a big but, 
it is not up to them completely. See, while we all have specific tasks, the process of discipling people into works of service so that the body of Christ is strengthened is paramount. Someone has written, impacting the world begins when Christ followers. That would be everybody here today. If you're a Christ follower, impacting the world begins when Christ followers like you and me stand together in one spirit. Now, I coached high school and college basketball for about 18 years. And I don't know how many times I ever said to them at halftime or before a game, we either win together or we lose together. I actually used that phrase when I preached at Belvedere a month ago. And one of my former high school basketball players came up to me after church. He says, oh, man, I can remember sitting there at halftime and hearing you say the same thing. We win together or we lose together. You know, there's one more current memory that I have of Paul. It was about a year ago. I was here on a Saturday morning leading a leadership retreat. Now, part of the beginning were to make introductions. I mean, who the elders were, who the pastors were and stuff like that. But then Paul introduced his teaching staff. I got to tell you, Paul, I was really impressed. I, I remember just kind of sitting with a big grin on my face. I was really impressed. I was really moved as I listened to you talk about each one of your teachers. Now, you had little jokes about every last one of them. That is Paul. But it was so evident in Paul's humorous manner that he knew them well. And his words were not only joking, but his words of each teacher were words of praise and affirmation. And I got to tell you, friends, you want to be in ministry with a leader like that. But he didn't, and he couldn't do it without the rest of you. See, when all is said and done, <clears throat> Paul Baker will be remembered for many things. But apart from his own relationship to God and his relationship to family, his most important vocation will remain serving <clears throat> as a faithful, worshipful, prayerful shepherd to a local body of believers. Today, friends, uh, I don't know if you realize that you're going to be witnessing a rather remarkable event. You're watching the end of a very remarkable time of ministry. But I know Paul well enough that it's not going to be the end of his service or his ministry to other people. So my prayer and my eager expectation for you, Paul, is that the Lord will continue to use you and to keep you faithful in whatever next season of life it is, whether it's just hurting that wild horde of grandchildren you've got or building things or hanging around the school and just cajoling people in the hallways or whatever it is, that God would keep you healthy and faithful as you finish strong for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. When I think of Paul, I was reminded of a, a quote. I should have put it on the screen. It's by John Steinbeck. His quote was this. I have come to believe that a great teacher is a great artist and that there are as few as there are any other great artists. Teaching might even be the greatest of the arts since the medium is the human mind and spirit. And Paul, you are a great artist. You're one of the great artists of the teaching profession. You've made a lasting impression on your colleagues. You have partnered with parents that you have encouraged along the way, teachers that you have led, and the lives of the students that you have taught 
and the legacy that you will leave behind. Thank you. God bless you. And happy. I'm not going to say that word. Just be refreshed and repositioned in God's name. I believe I could probably say this. You're going to gather your tithes and your offerings. So get ready. The plates are coming. <laughs>